Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 217 for the 7th of October, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here again with Paul Ducklin. How you doing, Duck? Hello, Chester. You're on the road, but this week, sort of, so am I. So the conference noise is at my end this time. Unfortunately, I suspect they're coming for lunch any minute. So if you suddenly hear a lot of things that sound like knives and forks going crazy, that'll be it. It's not that I'm trying to dine on the job. <laughs> well, we've got quite a few topics to cover, so hopefully that won't happen. But um, let's you know kick things off right away with the BitPay breach. Uh, this was in the news probably a couple weeks ago. I think we skipped over it here in the podcast. But I thought it was a really interesting uh, story, not because uh, Bitcoins were stolen, not because there was a, a, a targeted phishing attack involved, but more because it touched on a favorite pet topic of mine, which is cyber insurance. Yes, it's a strange one, Chester, isn't it? Because what happened is a journalist got his email hacked and the crooks were able then to masquerade as this guy who was trusted by the company to talk them into doing something dodgy, which ended up the money being lost. And it seems the insurance company saying, no, 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 that's not a hack. That's like indirect. It's the other guy was hacked and then you fell for the trick. It doesn't count. So ironically, if the crooks had got in through terrible password or some really bad obvious security hole that should have been closed. It sounds as though BitPay would have got paid out by the insurance, but because the crooks are a bit smarter and a bit more subtle, um, they're not going to get paid. It sort of sounds the wrong way around, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and, and I guess you know the reason I, I kind of like the case is it, it's sort of quibbling over the specific detail of precisely whose computer got hacked, etc. Et and I think it raises bigger issues about cyber insurance in general. If you ask five experts what you need to do to, uh, you know, what are the top five things you should do to protect your environment? You know, one of them is going to say antivirus. Another one's going to say antivirus is dead. Uh, There's a million different variables that we really don't have any clue as to which things precisely um, in in, in a, a, you know, detailed enough way that we could define to to, to make basically an educated bet on it, which is all I really consider insurance to be. Indeed. For example, single sign-on. Is it really the best thing ever? Because then there's one password that you can protect properly, or is it? Does it actually that actually make your risk worse? Because if a crook gets the one password, he's got access to too much. You know, when you're insuring against something like theft or against automotive damage, you're looking to try and rebuild if something terrible happens if something gets destroyed. It's pretty obvious what the insurance is trying to rebuild. The problem in many cyber attacks, in this case, well, if somebody else's bitcoins got stolen or if somebody else's data got stolen, well, it wasn't strictly stolen because the original person still has it, but now there may be 50 million other people whose data is out there. So it's almost as though we don't even know what the insurance money is for when when there's a payout. I agree with what you're saying because insurance is designed to, uh, in my view, make you whole. It's to bring you back to a place where... Uh, to the closest possible you recover from the the act and uh, reputational damage in the case of Target or stolen credit cards in the case of Wyndham or in this case stolen Bitcoins, none of those things can really be made holding and I guess Bitcoins are the closest arguably because they have a a monetary value and and, and of course the company ate the loss of losing those Bitcoins so in this case if they were to get paid by the insurance company I guess they kind of would be made whole but it doesn't cover any of the other costs associated with the crime that occurred. So it's a messy thing, and I'm I'm glad I'm not in a position where I'm being asked to take out a cyber insurance policy. There is an operational security lesson to be learned from this, if we ignore the cyber insurance part, of course, and that's that, from what I can gather, in this case, 
This chap's email was hacked. His email was used to talk the BitPay company into doing something they shouldn't and to authenticate or to verify that the transaction was legit. It seems that they emailed the guy back whose email had been hacked. They didn't seek an alternative channel. They simply went with something that if it was already compromised, all they were doing was doubling their compromise. My suggestion is if someone's emailed you to suggest that you're paying out in excess of a million dollars, don't email them back to ask if they're telling the truth. They're going to say yes. Well, that's that's another challenge we have from a privacy perspective. That's why Google, Facebook, and many other organizations now are asking for your cellular telephone number. So the idea is if you've enabled two-factor authentication and they suspect that something fishy is going on, um, they have some other way to contact you other than just through, say, email because your email may be compromised. Many of us are very hesitant to share you know, cellular telephone numbers with these companies, but uh, that is why they're asking. So when you're making your risk calculation yourself, whether it's for insurance or not, keep that in mind. That these extra pieces of information can be used in, the, in that moment when bad things might happen. Well, in other news, uh, President Xi of China and President Obama met and, of course, came to some sort of an agreement that uh, both countries would uh, no longer support or sponsor anyone in their country hacking the other and stealing intellectual property. That's fantastic, Chester. We don't need to do anything about cybersecurity now. What exactly? They've set the honesty bit in every TCP packet for us. Stand down from blue alert. Yeah, I, I saw the coverage was quite hot and heavy in the news outlets, and I was just really confused because uh, I'm not sure that, you know, okay, let's say that there are a lot of hackers in China trying to steal intellectual property from the U.S. That's, that's probably true, but it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, you're not going to suddenly need to stop protecting your data or stop protecting your network. The reason, whether it's Chinese hackers, whether it's Russian hackers, whether it's hackers from down the street uh, in your neighborhood in, in Omaha, it doesn't really matter what, you still have to protect all your stuff, right? And I, I mean, I guess it'd be nice if there were fewer uh, attacks coming out of any country and, and targeting the U.S. or the U.K. or Canadians or, or Zimbabweans for that matter. But I don't understand how this will actually have any meaningful impact to, uh, to those of us that are responsible for protecting our clients and our information. I guess one way it could help, Chester, is let's say it all works out brilliantly and all the state-sponsored hacking completely stops overnight. We're going to find that cybercrime continues unabated and we're still going to get breaches, we're still going to get losses, we're still going to get attacks on our network. And maybe that will focus people's minds that there isn't a kind of magic political cure and it isn't all about intelligence agencies trying to do the wrong thing. It's much more about crooks who are willing to take you for 10, 100, 1,000 or a million dollars at a time. Whatever you've got, if they can get hold of it, they surely will. I love the idea that on an international scene, that the, uh, the work that we're doing is getting global attention, right? That the President of the United States cares about this enough to bring it up with another foreign leader, uh, especially, you know, a, a trading partner as important as China is to the U.S. While we're talking about the international scene, I, I noticed that uh, there was another situation in South Korea regarding uh, ID numbers and anonymization and knitting your own crypto. And... Uh, every time we see someone knit their own crypto, it always ends in tears. Maybe you can explain to people again how in this particular case it's a bad idea. Well, Chester, this was a paper that a couple of researchers at Harvard did where they looked at 
South Korean medical prescription data that was publicly available. And they figured, I wonder how well anonymized the Korean ID numbers or uh, resident registration numbers, RRNs as they call it. I wonder how well anonymized they are, or could you actually go backwards? Now, we know that sometimes by just simply having a lot of information that you know relates to a single individual, you can infer who that individual is. AOL found that when they released that search data back in 2006. There was enough personal information in the search terms to to re-identify individuals. We also know that if you convert ID numbers into, say, hashes in a way that can be easily repeated, then somebody can just build a table that lets them go backwards from the hash to the original. In this case, at least in the data that these researchers looked at, the anonymization had apparently been done by what was effectively a pair of Caesar ciphers. I kid you not. Digits in the ID number had been replaced with letters. Even digits and odd position digits used just a simple substitution alphabet. So you can call it a visionaire cipher with a key length of two. Absolutely terrible. And now there's some concern that a similar scrambling process may have been used in data that's actually sold in bulk about living South Koreans to a US pharmaceutical company for you know research and marketing purposes, I guess. As you say, do not knit your own cryptography. Consult an expert. Yeah, I guess that's the most important lesson here. I mean, the, the, the access to these public large data sources are very interesting for researchers and academics and can often result in some very positive outcomes from a research perspective, being able to, to have real data about, you know, a large group of people in some sort of a hopefully truly anonymized fashion. But it seems like just sort of like the cyber insurance thing we talked about a moment ago, it seems like we're not really mature enough to do this right at this point. Every time somebody seems to release any kind of bulk of, quote, anonymized data, it's de-anonymized within hours, if not days. The problem is that you could go back from a supposedly anonymous identifier to one that was uniquely connected with an individual in all walks of life, which means that if I already hold a table of my customers mapping their ID numbers to, say, their insurance, I could now go into this data and work out, hey, that's one of my customers. Let me see what medications they were taking. And, uh, you know, that's not the idea of, as you say, of releasing anonymized data. It's supposed to be for positive research purposes and must be strictly protected against abuse. Well, I guess that, that sounds a lot worse than the, the next story I was going to mention, which is uh, Experian uh, seems to have lost the customer data of one of its customers. So usually we're talking about millions and millions of records, like when we talk about Target. But at least in this case, um, they only lost one customer's information. And apparently, and in all seriousness, on Experian's site, only one server was involved. And that makes it great. Uh, the customer, unfortunately, was T-Mobile, the big uh, global telecommunications provider and the data was uh, credit checks on 15 million T-Mobile customers so it may have been one client 15 million and one people were affected let's let's correct that for people when you say T-Mobile customers uh, this does not include just T-Mobile customer information anyone who may have applied for a contract through T-Mobile's information would be included even if they were denied right yes this could include people that aren't just T-Mobile customers as well. But it's only one client. So, I mean, I don't know what you're getting all um, you know, upset about. I mean, what, just one customer. 
when the news broke, understandably, T-Mobile's CEO was pretty jolly cross. And he did come out and apologize. And, you know, he said, look, the breach was beyond our control, but nevertheless, we're responsible. You can have two years of free consumer credit monitoring. And the company that you have to trust to do your credit monitoring turns out to be owned by Experian. For anyone who's not familiar with the definition of the English word irony, I think you just found it. Yeah, and it, I guess you could almost argue that uh, considering Experian has been one of the largest beneficiaries of data breaches as a whole, uh, that they certainly had awareness of how important it is to protect this kind of information. I mean, we, you know, myself, I had my credit card information compromised in the Home Depot breach a couple of years ago. And when I went to the um, Home Depot claimants website, I, of course, received a free year of credit monitoring from Experian. And that's not unusual. We've seen many, many, many large data breaches, especially in the United States, including consumer protection services, uh, credit protection services from Experian. And that's uh, the case in Canada as well, where Experian also is a, a uh, credit monitoring provider as well as um, a provider of credit check services for, for industry. So I, I suppose the first step that we're always trying to battle in our industry is raising awareness about the problem. In this case, awareness apparently didn't do much good. Um, the information still wasn't protected, and I, I think it would be hard to argue they weren't aware of the, of the risk. Perhaps we can turn some of these things into tips because this is the first chat chat of October and October is now cybersecurity awareness month in not just the United States and uh, Canada, but also in Australia and throughout Europe and many places around the world. So I think we can consider this a global event now. Um, for those of you that use Twitter, you can follow along with a lot of the activities by following the hashtag CyberAware. And uh, Naked Security's uh, participating as well. I saw a little bit of a, a call for help to the public to participate. Yes, we're asking people what are the sort of questions that you get asked at home so we can actually come up with some nice answers that help people with those difficult questions. And we're also, you know, we're going to be talking about business security. Uh, we're going to be talking about mobile security and giving advice on how those of us who know a bit more about cybersecurity can help our friends and family lift their game. Yeah, and I mean, there's lots of ways to participate in Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, the, 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 the lead group behind it runs a website called Stop, Think, Connect. And I encourage you to visit their site in addition to Naked Security to see all the different things going on. They, they do list events all around the world where you can participate by contributing if you're a security expert yourself, participating if you want to learn more, or maybe just raising awareness amongst your friends and family about some of the free programs uh, and, and information out there that can help educate us all to be a little safer online. Uh, I would, I'll say to those of you that have helped in the past, nice work. And if you have a passion about it, go check out Stop, Think, Connect and, and Naked Security and uh, make an impact yourself. And on that note, I'm going to conclude Self Security Chat Chat 217. As always, for the latest security news, do visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes, the TuneIn app over RSS, or at soundcloud.com slash sofa security. Until next time, stay secure.